Hello, and welcome to the Dog Hack. A podcast series where we interview dog professionals. Today we're joined by Emily from Devil Dude Direct. Hi, Emily. Hiya. How's things? Yeah, not too bad. Not sure I'm that keen about being up this early on a Saturday, but I'll get over it. This isn't early. It's only 10 o'clock. Oh, no, this is early for me. me oh, really? Get up. Me and my dogs do not get up at, like, any time before 10. Do you know you're the... Benefits of being self-employed. Of, of the four episodes we've done of the podcast so far, you're the second person... Uh, to not do early morning dog walks, oh. which I'm starting to find really surprising. I'm not a dog, not a uh, not a dog walking. No, I'm a dog walking person, not an early morning person at all. Oh, I really? can quite happily work until midnight in the evenings, but mornings are not my not my thing. But they're not my dog's thing either, so they're quite happy to stay in bed. Look at you. We were up at I think about seven. Well, no, half six this morning. We were up because we wanted to make sure we got. A bit of a walk in before the hot weather kicks for this afternoon. It's not going to yeah, be. My dogs be a bit are still warm. still all in their beds. We'll be doing either a very late walk this evening, or they'll just be getting lots of treat toys and other bits and bobs to keep them entertained. Lots of play in the house. Yeah, lots of well, they do that anyway. My boys charge around like lunatics most of the time. So you've got three dogs. Yeah, we've got three. So we've got Colin, who is a five-year-old collie cross poodle. We've then got Rhapsody, who is a nearly nine-year-old miniature poodle. And then we've got Arnold, who is a whippet, who turned one about a month ago. And he turned one a month ago. Yeah. And so that's three very different kind of breeds that you've got in the house there three very different see funny enough people always say that but actually poodles are very very similar to sight hounds other than the fact that they're fluffy um so they've all got quite a kind of lazy personality in the house so they will literally sleep all day if you wanted them to but outside the house they're absolute lunatics and they charge around and they chase each other and they absolutely love playing but in the house, they pretty much just sleep all the time. I hurt my back a couple of months ago um, and we had about a week without walking. They couldn't have cared less. Um, <laughs> and then we also had kennel cough um, about a month. Ago. I think we started walking again about a month ago. But we had almost a month of no walks because obviously they're contagious. So you can't risk taking them out where there might be other dogs. Mm. Um, so we literally had a month of just training, training in the garden. Um, so we've got some basic agility stuff in our garden, um, and then kind of mental enrichment and training as well. Um, and they were hilarious because they literally were just asleep all day, every day. I've I've heard that about the, the whippet greyhound kind of breeds that they are very, um, relaxed and then have sort of 20 minute zoomies. Yeah, that's pretty much the same as poodles as well, ah, which right. people, I, people don't really know. I think people don't really understand poodles as a breed because you see so many crossbreeds, um, especially kind of cockapoos, labradoodles, and because they've crossed them with more active breeds, people go, oh, poodles must be, you know, really high energy. And you're like, ah, no, not, <laughs> not so really. much. Yeah, <laughs> not so I... much as the breeds they've crossed them with. 
I've I've found that uh, with poodles, people not really understanding the the breed. I think that especially, I mean, that's that's one misconception. The one that I often find people have is because I'm a big fan of poodles. But the most common misconception I find people have is that they're you know for doing the hair. Do you know this? Oh, like it's yeah. a pretty dog, and all yeah. every poodle I've ever met is as willing as a as a springer to get down and dirty in the mud and. Yeah. Do do the hard graft because they're originally yeah. marsh hunting dogs, weren't they? Poodles. Yeah, yeah, duck hunters. Um, we've actually so we my parents have also got two standard poodles as well. Um, so we're we are quite a poodly family. Um, and I kind of never understand because people kind of say to me, they're like, oh, I want you know, I don't want a dog that's shared. I want a dog that's like you know wants to be with you, really human orientated. You know, I want a dog that will take or leave exercise. So poodles will go for a four hour hike if you want them to but they'll also lie on the sofa all day if you want them to and then people kind of go so i think i'm gonna get a cockapoo and you kind of go you know you could just get a poodle a poodle poodle like yeah. <laughs> you could just get a poodle and you'd probably pay less for it yes we so, were in yeah. la a couple of years ago and in, in an airbnb uh, right on venice beach and the lady in the airbnb had a, a poodle called elvis Oh, they always have good names, poodles. Yeah, it was brilliant, and she'd never put it on lead. You know, it'd walk right down Venice Boulevard, off lead, everybody knew the dog. It was, like, famous in the area, very relaxed. Like you say, quite happy to go out and swim for hours or hike, but equally just as pleased to sort of sit lounging around. Yeah, they are. They're awesome dogs. I would have had another one, but my husband told me I wasn't allowed another poodle. So we settled on Whippet. Whip and it. to be fair, I absolutely adore him. And I would 100% have another Whippet now. Um, but yeah, I would have had another Poodle. <laughs> so that would have been three Poodles. So, but the, the Collie Croodle... Coll- oh, Collie Croodle. The Collie Poodle Cross. Yes. That's Colin, right? Yeah, so he's three quarters Poodle and a quarter Border Collie. Ah, okay. Um, originally, I actually went to his breeder because I wanted a poodle because um, she was a poodle breeder. And as I was on her website, she is no longer breeding. But when she was, she did almost daily updates of her litters as they grew. Um, so you could go onto her website and you could say, right, I want to look at the A litter because she did them by letter. So she was working her way through the alphabet with them. Um, and then you could literally go through and look every single puppy pretty much every day from when it was born until it was eight weeks old and it went to its new home. And I was going through her website, just looking at all the different you know litters that she'd had and came across her first litter of the Collie Cross Poodles um, and just fell completely in love with this little brown and white puppy. Uh, so when I went to visit, I went to visit with the intention of just kind of getting to know her, you know, looking at all her health testing and kind of making sure that she was the right breeder um, and then met his mum and just instantly was like, oh, I'm going to have to have to have one because having loved this other puppy for a previous litter so much and then meeting her, I was just completely in love with them. So I said to her, right, I'm not, you know, I possibly still want a poodle, but if you have a little brown and white boy, then I want him um, because she was planning a breeding from her the same year. Um, and I was actually in America when she gave birth um, and I had an email from Sabrina who was the breeder and she said look we've you know the puppies have been born there's six puppies 
there is one brown and white and he's a boy and i just went i'm gonna have to have him aren't i uh, so she actually bless her held the whole litter for me until i got back from america because she was like you know i don't want you to make decisions without meeting them and you know we've got to make sure he's got the right personality for you um and we got home and i think the day after i got back from america i drove to suffolk to visit him and at the time i was living in reading so it was like a 300 and something mile round trip um and literally arrived and this little ball of like brown and white fluff just came tearing towards me and literally as soon as i saw him i was like yeah no he's he's coming home with us <laughs> so how old was he at that point was he ready to be picked uh, up no he wasn't heartbreakingly he was only six weeks old so i had to leave him and then go back two weeks later to pick him up yeah and it was honestly the worst two weeks of my life like it was horrific like it was agonizingly slow it was so slow and i think it was better because she was posting pretty much daily updates on them it was lovely because i was seeing videos and photos and you know she was filming when she was doing grooming training with them and all sorts but yeah it was heartbreaking to go and then have to leave for two weeks and then go back and pick him up um but yeah it was he's a special one and so colin's five did you say rhapsody was nine yeah she's nine so we actually adopted her from the same breeder i got colin from uh when she was five um essentially i'd just moved out of home from my parents house so colin had been living with the two standard poodles um and we moved out and having never known life as an only dog um colin was pretty much depressed um he just was not happy um and then fortunately i was kind of thinking oh you know i'll have to wait until next summer to get another puppy um because at the time i was teaching so obviously you can't have a puppy while you're teaching full-time um and i was just thinking oh my god he's gonna have to go back and live with my parents like this is just not fair and then i got a call from sabrina who essentially she'd had rhapsody's last litter that she wanted to have from her um and rhapsody is a very special kind of dog um everyone that meets her completely falls in love with her and wants to take her home she is the neediest dog i have ever met she just wants to be on your lap or be carried at all times um so essentially sabrina rang me and she was like look it's not fair there's 11 other dogs here she's not getting the one-to-one attention that she needs um would you be interested in rehoming her um and i think i picked her up a week after we had that conversation um and she literally came home and immediately was queen of the house colin immediately completely changed from this kind of worried not happy little dog to suddenly he was like oh i've got a sister um so yeah she was people always are like oh was she a rescue and I'm like no she wasn't at all because Sabrina was an absolutely amazing breeder who the welfare of her dogs was literally her life's purpose but she recognized that it wasn't fair for this particular dog to stay in that environment um Mm. so yeah I've got a lot of respect for breeders who put the welfare of their dogs above their own personal kind of feelings because she absolutely adored Rhapsody like she'd imported her from Germany she'd built this bond with her over the five and a half years that she'd had her 
Um, and I think it must be so hard to give up, you know, that dog and that relationship. Um, and I think because I always send regular pictures and all that kind of stuff, she's kind of happier that she knows that, you know, she's in she's well a loving after. household where she gets as much attention as she wants. She knew that I would continue with the raw feeding because that's what Colin was on. So she kind of knew that everything she'd been doing, I was going to continue with. Um, so, yeah, that's how uh, we ended up with her. And then what made you get... So then you've, you've had those guys for a couple of years and then yeah. you bring on Arnold. <laughs> yeah, so... I wanted a third dog and essentially it came down to the fact that my husband went skiing for a month last year uh, with the army um, and I said well if you're going skiing for a month I want another puppy um, and he kind of went um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's fair and I was like well you want to go skiing uh, so that's how we ended up deciding to get a third um, and my main reasoning behind it was because Rhapsody's getting older um, she's not necessarily that bothered about playing anymore. Um, she'll play with humans, but she's not really a dog dog. Like she's not really bothered about other dogs most of the time. Um, so I really wanted another dog that Colin could play with. Um, and that was kind of our main kind of reason for getting him. Um, and I spent the first probably month or two just thinking, oh my God, what have I done? But I feel like really? that's the same with any new puppy owner. You kind yeah. of, the destruction arrives and you kind of go, oh, what have I done? Um, and yeah, Colin wasn't particularly keen on him at the start, um, which is fair enough considering he was trying to bite his ears and all sorts. Uh, but now they are the best of friends. They just chase each other around constantly, constant play fighting. Um, yeah, it's really lovely. We've kind of noticed in the last couple of months that their relationship has really kind of solidified as such now that they're both adults. Um, because I think Colin is not super keen on puppies. I think they're a bit unpredictable for him. Um, but now he's now they've got that relationship, it's really lovely to see. That's but, good. Yeah. So they all get along well? I mean, Rhapsody isn't that bothered by the other two. <laughs> She's quite funny. She... She likes them. Like, she doesn't dislike them. She's not nasty to them. Um, but she just doesn't really interact with them that much unless they're asleep and then she'll go and curl up next to them. So when they're quiet, then they get some love. Yes. Occasionally, if they're getting too rowdy, she'll yap at them, which is quite funny. Do I they listen to herself. her? Oh, yeah. She is, she is queen bee. She's the matriarch. She definitely is. Like, one little word from her and they're both like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, she is. She's in charge for sure. And which, I, I, I think I'm right in saying your Devil Dude Direct is named after one of them. Which one yes, is the Devil Colin. Dude? Colin. Um, so when he was a puppy, um, he had this horrible noise he used to make, um, which literally sounded like some sort of devil creature um so we used to call him the devil dog um and then when i was looking at setting up my original company which is devil dude designs um it was one of those things that i think devil dog was already taken um and in america they call anything crossed with a poodle a dude 
that's their kind of name ah, for okay. them. So that's how we settled on Devil Dude. Right. Um, so yeah, his face is our logo. Right, that makes yeah. sense. I, Named I was wondering him. if Dude was a, just an alternative spelling of D-U-D-E. Yeah, a lot of people do think that. It's funny because any Americans are like, oh, yeah, obviously, because he's a poodle cross. And British people are like, oh, where did that come from? (laughs) Uh, Which is funny considering, obviously, I am British. Yes. Um, But, yeah, the Americans get it a lot more than the Brits do. Right. But people usually get it once I've explained it. Yes. Um, And it's something that you're not going to forget, isn't it? You know, you're not going to kind of be like, oh, what was that company called? No, yeah, it definitely sticks in the mind. So, yeah, he is the devil dude. So before we go on to talk about Devil Dude Designs, Devil Dude Direct and the, and the businesses that you've set up, um, if we if we go back, before you were saying your parents had poodles. Yeah, so my dog growing up was actually a poodle cross Old English sheepdog. Um, so my parents got her from the RSPCA um, about a year before I was born. Um, and then she died when I was 16. Um, so she was 17 when she wow. died. Wow, well, good innings. So she, we had her for literally my entire childhood, the entire time I was growing up. She was the best dog. Like, I could never have that cross again because it wouldn't be her. Um, and they do now breed them in America. They call them sheepadoodles. Um and they all look like her. And every time I see one, I'm like, oh, it's a Georgie dog. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't have another one now because she was the perfect family dog. So yeah, it's one of those things that you just can't can't bring yourself to. Yeah, you're, you're not the first. I think this is the second time we've had somebody on the show who um, won't get the same breed again yeah. uh, based on the the, the new newcomer to the house wouldn't wouldn't be the same yeah exactly it's it's hard and i think it's because she was so different because you know now i i probably wouldn't have another one of colin because again that it's a different whereas with the poodle and the whippet i would definitely have another poodle or another whippet um i think it's something about the crossbreed that because they're a bit more unpredictable you don't know how much of the poodle and how much of the collar yeah, you're going to get. Exactly. And because she was RSPCA, we don't actually know like what size poodle she was crossed with. We All we know is that the mum was an old English and when they tested the puppies, they found poodle. So it's a, still a bit of an unknown with what she was. But yeah, she was the best dog and she literally was like a puppy until she was about 16 and she had a stroke when she was 16 and the last year of her life she was a bit slower and she was a bit kind of less enthusiastic. But until that point, she literally was like a puppy. And so then obviously you do what you do in life and you go on and, and sort of things. And then the, the next dog that you had after that was Colin was the first dog since your childhood dog. Uh, no. So we had, um, so I think we lasted about six months without a dog after we lost Georgie. And both of my parents go, no, no, no more dogs, no more dogs. We're not getting any more dogs. No, we can't have another one. Um, and yeah, we lasted about six months and we started looking into poodle rescue um, because you don't find a lot of poodles in kind of your normal shelters. If you go down to Dogs Trust, you're probably not going to find a poodle because basically all poodles that are rescues go through the poodle rescues. 
Um, so mum had started talking to some of the poodle rescues and got in contact about Desmond, who is our standard boy. Um, and essentially he was owned by a breeder who wasn't treating him very well. Um, the RSPCA had been called and had then got in contact with the poodle charity. And essentially the poodle charity was taking all of the dogs from this house um, and rehoming them. And we went to visit and he was literally kept in a concrete yard. He had never seen grass. He was terrified of everything. Um, and my mum just was, yeah, she couldn't leave him there. Um, so we ended up taking him home. Um, and he was a nightmare. He was only a year old. Um, and he was literally scared of his own shadow. He was destructive. He chewed everything. He howled. He was really, really hard work. Um, and about, I think about two months after we got him, the poodle charity got in contact again and they said, Oh, look, we've got his sister. Um, we'd rehomed her with another family, but they don't think they can cope with her. Um, would you foster her until we can find her a new home? Um, and of course my mum went, Oh, okay. Then if it's his sister, you know, we'll look after her until you can find her a new home. Um, and I think it took about three days before she rang them and she was like, yeah, we're keeping her. Um, so, and it, he immediately changed. Desmond went from being this shell of a nerd. Literally, as soon as she came through the front door, it was, it was literally like a different dog. Really? Like he a hundred percent knew who it was. And from literally that moment, he is the most loving, gentle, like such a sweetheart they were still naughty together like they would still steal stuff they chewed through an entire wicker sofa um like they were still you know fairly badly behaved having had no training or anything having never lived in a house never seen grass you know they still took a lot of work um but yeah and they are i think they're 10 this year wow Uh, my parents have still got them both uh, which is a good age for a standard poodle. They Their life expectancy is 10 to 12. Yes. Um, and yeah, they're just the sweetest dogs. So they are the two that Colin, when I got Colin after university, I was living at home. Um, so he started his life with them. Um, so he absolutely loves going home to see them. And they get very excited. They're very old and arthritic now. They're not really excitable by much but when we go home they get very excited that's what gets them going yeah it's very sweet they're not that keen on arnold though oh really he's a bit big and bouncy for them yes i was gonna say he's probably got too much energy yeah definitely they do try and play with him sometimes but he gets a lot of just like poor on the back just stop that's enough yes yeah yeah that is enough you annoying little whippet (laughs) is essentially what you can see their faces saying. So the with Colin and Rhapsody, obviously cause you've, you'd had poodles or poodle crosses yeah. in your life beforehand. Um, what made you pick a Whippet for your third dog? Um, it was basically, we went through breeds. I'm allergic, so I needed something that either didn't shed or was low shedding. Um, so my husband and I were kind of going through the list of dogs that fitted that requirement for us. Um, and essentially it came down to personality because I'm working at home. I needed 
a dog that is chilled in the house. Um, you know, I couldn't handle something like a spaniel that wanted constant attention, that wants to play with you. You know, I've got friends that have got much higher energy dogs and I just wouldn't have been able to cope with that. You know, I'm at home literally for 23 hours out of 24 hours of the day um, and I couldn't cope with a dog that needed that constant kind of interaction. Um yeah. So we kind of, we looked at lots of other breeds. We looked at a couple of terrier breeds. Um, I came across Italian greyhounds um, and would have quite liked an Italian greyhound. Um, but Will was like, no, they're too small. I'm going to stand on it. Um, so that Italian greyhounds were ruled out. Um, and then we kind of thought, oh, well, if we're not, if, you know, if Italian greyhounds are a bit too small, then maybe we should look at whippets. Um and we started looking at whippets and, you know, we were reading through lots of information, talking to breeders and, you know, they fitted our kind of, you know, low shedding, low energy and also kind of a medium sized dog. Um, I didn't want anything too big because quite a lot of the time Will is away with the army. Um, and obviously with three of them, I wasn't going to cope with like a 30 kilo German shepherd um, with the other two as well. So we kind of landed on Whippet and we're kind of thinking, oh, we'll get like a nice petite, like little 12 kilo, you know, diddy little Whippet. It will be perfect. She'll fit in. He or she'll fit in perfectly. Um, and we've ended up with an 18 kilo giant wow. Whippet. That is yeah. a big Whippet. He is massive. And everyone you talk to online is like, oh, is he a bit overweight? And I'm like, nope. Muscle. He is lean as anything. And he's just stacked. Um, well this is because you've called him Arnold well everyone does say that funnily enough but hilariously when we picked him up he was under two kilos um and he was like a mouse basically like he was a little scrap of a dog he was so tiny um and he was a little bit underweight because the food the breeder had been feeding them wasn't necessarily the best quality um so he had a lot of weight to put on um and yeah, we brought him home, started him straight on his raw diet and he was literally growing overnight. Like some mornings I'd go into my kitchen and be like, oh, sure, you're bigger. Like genuinely. Just in the space like, of a day. So fast. It was ridiculous. Like we weighed him every day and he, at some points he was putting on like 500 grams a day. Wow. Which is mental. That's rapid. Yeah, it was very rapid. And yeah, he just kept growing. And we kind of got to about 12 kilos and we were like, okay, this is a nice size. And yeah, he didn't stop. So uh, we have this giant whippet and everyone we meet goes, oh, he's big for a whippet, isn't he? Yes, we know. Thank you. A a few weeks ago, we had on um, Megan from the Cotswold Spaniels blog and uh, she's a photographer and she's doing a a drive this month you know her dear right yeah yeah Yeah, she she mentioned your name with with regards to harnesses which uh, I'm sure we'll come on to in in a little while but she was talking about raw feeding so and you've you've mentioned a couple of times about raw feeding are all three of your dogs on a raw food diet they are yes so I started raw feeding when I got Colin um, because his breeder weaned all the puppies onto raw um, and I mean, that was five years ago now when raw feeding wasn't really a thing. There was about three raw food companies in the whole of the UK. 
Um, and, you know, when you said to people, oh, yeah, my dogs are raw fed, people kind of went, what? You feed your dogs raw meat? Um, we were the only people that I knew of because I started Colin's Instagram when I brought him home, so five years ago. And of all the people that we kind of met and talked to through Instagram, not a single other dog was raw fed. Um, and now it's amazing because the number of raw fed dogs on Instagram is crazy. I'd say probably maybe as many as 50% of my customers are raw feeders now. Wow. Which is incredible considering five years ago, people didn't even know it was a thing. What what are the, just for anybody who's currently not on a raw food diet, given that the uh, Megan's got the drive on at the moment and obviously you, you're yeah. a proponent of it, what are the kind of benefits of a raw food diet? So in the entire time I've had Colin, the only time he's ever been to the vets is to be castrated and to have his initial vaccinations and to be tighter tested. He has never had a single health problem literally never been to the vet and i put that down to his raw diet he is as healthy well and the other two as well but he is as healthy as any dog i've ever met in my life his teeth are amazing the not that my dogs have ever eaten kibble so i don't really know but they don't really poo that much and when they do it's kind of very small pebbly it's not kind of gross and stinky um their coats are amazing I'm trying to think what else. I Because I've never fed anything else, it's not like I've seen the difference, if that makes sense. Yeah. So a lot of people who have swapped from kibble to raw kind of go, oh, I've seen all these differences, like, you know, X, Y, Z, this is amazing. Whereas for me, because they've always been on raw, I'm like, oh, well, I just thought that was normal. Yeah. You know, I thought it was normal for them to have really nice coats and good teeth and to be really healthy. Because the same with Rhapsody, since she's come to us, the only time she's been to the vets, keeping in mind she's nine this year, um, is when she got spayed and for tighter testing. Um, and every time we go, they check her teeth and they go, oh, so when was the last time she had a dental? And I go, mm, never. Because she's nine and she's got the teeth of like a one or two year old. Wow. Um, and no one can ever believe that she's literally never had any dental work in her life because they look that good. And that comes from the raw feeding? Yeah, that, I put that entirely down to the raw feeding and the fact that they get lots of natural chews. So and when you say natural chews, what sort of chews are we talking about? So favourites in our house, we like beef tails. They're nice and tough. They get to the back of the mouth. Bully beef, which is beef hide that we stock, which they really like. Um, what else do mine get? Camel hide, buffalo hide, buffalo ears are a favourite, uh, lamb tails, deer hide rolls, we have it all. Anything that's going to keep them chewing and put things to the back of their mouth um, are going to help with teeth cleaning essentially. Um, they do get raw bones as well, um, probably not as much as they should um, because obviously I've got all the natural chews here so it's easier to... You know, grab them a buffalo bladder twist or a piece of beef hide than it is to faff around with frozen stuff um but yeah they they have probably at least one natural chew a day um and then in addition to whatever long lasting chew they've had which helps with teeth cleaning they also have either a rabbit ear or a lamb ear with the fur on um which works as a natural dewormer uh, so really? my dogs don't get wormed at all 
um, we do a worm count every six months, I think, where you basically take a sample of their poo and send it off to the lab to check that there's nothing, you know, nothing sinister in there. Um, and yeah, they have a furry chew, probably I'd say most days, usually a rabbit ear. Um, and essentially the way it works is that the hair works a bit like a scourer on the inside of their guts. So the hair literally drags out anything that's sitting in their guts, kind of any kind of nastiness or worms, anything like that. Um, and yeah, it just kind of drags it all out. I'd never so, heard of that before. That's fascinating. Yeah, so basically any chew with hair on it um, is going to have that effect. And we've been using that as a natural deworming method for about a year now. Um, and we've never had anything show up in their worm counts. So clearly, you know, it's doing something. Well um, worth a go. Well, it's worth a go because the less chemicals you can put into your dog's body, the better, in my opinion. You know, there's no need to pump them full of chemicals when there's something natural that can do the same job. Yeah. You know, it's the same. I'm the same with vaccinations. I don't vaccinate my dogs. I titer test them. Um, so if anyone that's not kind of familiar with it, a titer test is a blood test. Um, and essentially they check the levels of antibodies in your dog's blood to see whether they need vaccinating. And in theory a dog that has had their puppy vaccinations should be immune for life. So even though the vets will tell you, oh, you need to have, you know, a yearly vaccine, there's actually no need for it. Um, even the manufacturers of the vaccines only recommend once every three years, which a lot of people don't know. So the protocol, if you go onto the vaccination website for the brand that makes the vaccines, their protocol is to vaccinate once every three years. All right. We take ours, yeah. We, so, we're one of those that take ours every year. We've got that vac for well, life. You get thing. your little, you get your little thing through, don't you, from yeah. the vets? And they say, "Oh, your dog's due its boost." Yeah, we go and do our uh, duty. But if you actually ask them, if you say to your vet, you know, I've been reading online and I've, you know, seen that the protocol is once every three years for these vaccinations. Yeah. So that's for the core vaccines. Um, they're quite funny because I went with my mum to have her two done because this was when they were seven or eight. Um. And I could see the vet had all the vaccines lined up on the side in the, you know, in the, um, what's the word, the uh, consultant room. Mm. And, um, you know, these dogs had been vaccinated every year of their lives until they were seven or eight. Um, and I just said, oh, um, what, you know, what are you, what you going to give them? And she said, oh, you know, I've got the core vaccines and then I've got the lepto and then I've got the kennel cough one for them. And I just went. Um, that's interesting because I thought the protocol for the core vaccines was once every three years, according to the manufacturer. And she went, oh, did they have them last year? Knowing full well, you know, she had their vaccination record in front of her. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah, no, you've been recommending they have them every year for the last, you know, three or four years since we moved here. And she went, oh, no, you are right. You know, the protocol does say once every three years. So they're quite funny if you kind of not call them out on it, but if you question it. Because obviously, legally, they can't say, no, the protocol's every year, because it's not. Right. Um, so it's one of those things that, you know, start having that conversation with your vet. You know, if you've got the information, unfortunately, vaccinations are the biggest way that vet practices have regular income. Because they can predict that, you know, the 200 dogs they have on their books are going to come in and pay, you know, 50 or 60 quid for their annual checkup and vaccinations. See, with us, we're on this um, vac for life with uh, pets at home. Yeah. And so you pay 
when he was a puppy, I think we paid £100 or something, and that includes his vaccinations for his life. So you would think at that point that yeah. they wouldn't want to give it you every year because they're essentially wasting their stock on somebody whose money they've already got. Yeah, it seems funny, doesn't it? Um, it's an odd one. Yeah, it's just one of the things that if you ask them, and it is becoming more of a thing now that because people are more aware of it, less vets are pushing the annual vaccinations. Yeah. Um, and a lot more practices are offering the tighter testing as well, which is a massive improvement. I think when I first got Colin tighter tested, there was we were in Surrey at the time, and there was one practice in the whole of Surrey that offered tighter testing. Whereas now, if you go on, there's a company called VacuCheck, and they're the main tighter testing company in the UK. And if you go on their Facebook page, they have an interactive map where you can see which practices offer the tighter testing. Um, and it's amazing how many now are actually offering it. I'm surprised there's no legislation around it, like that, you know, if it only oh, needs to be administered think, every you? three years, that, you know, it's not in some way enforced. But I guess it's the same as most things when it comes to pet health. There is no NHS for pets, yeah. and so it's a bit of a Wild West. Yeah, unfortunately it is. But it's one of those things that the tighter testing costs £30, so it's already less expensive than actually getting the vaccinations. Uh, which for me, if your dog then doesn't need vaccinating, and obviously if the titer test came back and said, you know, Rhapsody's got no immunity to Parvo, obviously I would then have her vaccinated because I don't want to leave my dogs unprotected from these things. But she is, yeah, as I said, she's nine this year and she was vaccinated as a puppy because she was imported from Germany. So she had to have all her vaccinations before she came. Um, and she's not been vaccinated since. And all her titer testing always shows good levels of immunity. Fascinating stuff. I'm sure people are going to be going away from the podcast today Googling the hell out of that because know, it might save them a lot of money. not about the business yet, but I get really like passionate about things like raw feeding and titer testing. Yes. Okay, so, well, th- seeing as we're talking about it, the business... Devil Dude Designs originally, was it? Was that the first incarnation? Yes, we started Devil Dude Designs in about 2016. um, But the actual kind of journey towards it actually started about a year and a half before that. Um, So essentially, Colin used to roll in everything. Like anything smelly that he could roll in, he would be in. Um, And I was buying him all these beautiful collars that I kind of found on Instagram. You know, beautiful fabric collars. And essentially, after one wash, because I was having to wash stuff because he was rolling in everything, uh, they just looked rubbish. Um, So I started looking for a kind of alternative that was something that I could wash again and again and again, and it wasn't going to lose its colour. It wasn't going to start looking ragged. You know, the kind of, you you know what collars look like normally. If you've washed them a few times, they start to look a bit kind of dog-eared. So I eventually found Paracord. Um, and at the time there was no one in the UK making paracord collars. Um, they were all in America and essentially I decided that I didn't want to pay the shipping and the custom fees to order one from America. Uh, so I just ordered some stuff online and decided to make one myself. So made him a collar, made Desineva collar, uh, then started to get other people asking me if I could make them a collar. 
So I kind of started making them for friends and family. Um, and then, yeah, spent about a year and a half after that kind of, you know, perfecting my technique, you know, working on different designs, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I finished my teacher training in 2016 um, and decided to open a company. Um, you know, could give it a go to see if it could be something that could supplement me possibly only working part time rather than working full time. Uh, I was struggling with my health with working full time. Um, I've got some joint conditions that make it quite difficult for me to work kind of full days in school. Um, so that was kind of where I kind of went, oh, yeah, I could probably make a probably make a go of this. Uh, so, yeah, Devil Do Design started in 2016. Um, then continued doing kind of part-time teaching and supply work for the remainder of 2016 and all of 2017. Um, I then married my husband, Will, in January 2018. Um, and when we got married, we moved to Suffolk because um, that is where he's currently posted. Um, so we moved to Suffolk and I thought, actually, it'd be really nice not to have to go back to work. So started thinking, okay, what can I do alongside the accessories? Because I was at the point with the accessories that I was pretty much making as much as I physically could in the time I had to make them, if that makes sense. So per week or per month, I was making as much as I thought it was physically possible for me to make. So it was so really needed... successful in the beginning. It, yeah, it was really, really busy. Um, but I wasn't really making enough money to make it worth me doing it full time, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I needed to come up with something that was not going to be as time consuming. Um, and that basically things that I could buy in and resell as opposed to things I was making myself. Um, so this was probably March 2018. Um and there's a big trade show for pet companies called Pats, um, which is usually in kind of February, March time every year. Um, so I found this um, kind of show online. I said to one of my friends, I was like, look, I'm going to register for this. Uh, you know, let's go along and let's see if anything kind of, you know, grabs our kind of interest. Um, and we went to the show. Um, we're kind of wandering around, looking at bits and bobs um, and kind of, you know, looking at all these products that were available for dogs and kind of sifting through the kind of, you know, absolute rubbish and the stuff that was really good. Um, and there was loads of really awesome companies that pretty much I'd only ever seen them available from them, if that makes sense. So there was all these great companies, but there was no kind of central business to buy all these products from. Um, and I knew that initially I wasn't going to be in a position to be able to afford to buy stock to stock the kind of shop I wanted. So I needed something that I could build and then kind of slowly introduce different brands because um, I've never had any investment in Devil Do Direct. Everything that has been put into it has been money that I've made from making the accessories that I've then invested in stock and things like that. So we never had a kind of, you know, massive cash injection for, you know, to buy all these different things and start a big shop. It was always kind of, it grew as I was kind of making money from other things and then reinvesting it. 
so we started in April 2018 with our Delhi boxes, which were the first things that we actually sold on the Devil Dude Direct website. So our Delhi boxes are monthly natural treat and chew boxes. Um, there's a couple of different ones. There's our signature box, which is our biggest box. And you get kind of a whole range of different kind of treats and training treats and pate and a long lasting chew, lots of different natural chews. And then it goes all the way down to our chew trial box, which is between eight, no, between 10 and 14 individually wrapped chews, which are all different. So for a dog that's super fussy and that you think, oh, I don't really want to buy a whole pack of beef tails because I might not know if they like them. Uh, the chew trial box offers you the chance to just get one of everything and then after you've tried one of everything and you go, okay, well, my dog really likes that and that, you can then go on my website and buy a bag of the things that they liked. Um, so that's where it started. And then slowly, as I was reinvesting profits from the boxes, um, I started to build stock levels. Um, and then over the last, I think I opened the direct shop, I want to say last July, possibly. So just over a year ago. Um, and, you know, I kind of started with two or three brands that I really loved um, and have slowly built up to stocking possibly not all because you can never stock all of the amazing brands that are out there. But, you know, I'm I'm hitting a lot of the kind of dream brands that I wanted to stock. You know, Roughwear, Herter, they're the biggest two adventure brands for dogs in the UK not in the UK, in the world. Um, so Roughwear's American, Herter is Finnish, um, and they are kind of the world leaders in adventure gear for dogs. So they were always two, I was like, oh, I'd love to stock them. But, you know, their products are expensive. And, you know, as a kind of startup, you know, I was investing maybe two or 300 pounds at a time. And that's not realistic to try and stock those massive brands if that's your investment level. Um, so it's kind of been a slow, slow progression from kind of stocking, you know, a few different chews and treats. And I think I had one brand of toys at the beginning. And now I've got, you know, an entire stock room full of different brands that, you know, are what I consider to be the best products available for dogs. Yeah. I, I must say, Roughwear is one that I've come across a few times, and I, I really like the Roughwear brand. I think it's a, a fantastic-looking brand. Uh, I really like the branding that they've done with it. But I, I also think you've, I think you might be selling yourself short there, because you've said it's quite it's been quite slow. But if you've only started it last July, to be where you are now, that that's not slow. No, I mean I think I yeah I'm quite harsh on myself um, when I look at things like that. I mean. We actually yesterday went over the threshold for paying VAT, which is something that I literally, when I started this, never even dreamed that we would hit. Um, it wasn't even something I'd even considered about. And it was only a couple of months ago that my dad pointed out and he went, Em, you need to like actually be watching because you're not far off going over because there's like a threshold for when you start paying VAT, essentially. Right. Um, and I never thought I would get there. And then doing my accounts yesterday, I suddenly went, oh, I need to start paying VAT. And yeah, that's crazy in a year for me. Yeah, that's but, super yeah. quick. There's quite a lot of companies out there that kind of start and they've had, you know, maybe 10 grand, maybe more than that injected as a startup. 
um and you know they've gone from absolutely nothing to suddenly having all these amazing brands and you know going to all these shows and i think i'm quite quick to compare myself to that kind of company but that's not really the kind of company that i am and it's not really what i wanted to be you know i wanted to be the type of company and i feel like i am that i only stock things that i love and use for my own dogs and if you're going in with 10 grand of investment and buying, you know, X, Y, Z that you want to stock in your shop, you're never going to be able to test everything properly. Um, and that's one of my things that I love to do is to make sure that everything before I put it on the website and start selling it to people, you know, that everything's been tested. Um, because I wouldn't want to sell something to someone that either wasn't of a quality I was happy with or that wasn't going to last because I just don't see the point in buying things that you're going to have to replace in a year's time. You know, obviously things like treats and chews, you have to keep buying, but things like the harnesses that I stock, the coats that I stock, the accessories that I stock, they're all the types of things that should last the length of your dog's lifetime. Um, and I'm big on not having to replace things like that and toys as well. Um, you know, we were going through a ridiculous number of toys with my dogs. Rhapsody particularly likes to just de-stuff everything. So with toys, it was really important for me that I was only stocking, you know, really high quality. And yes, they are a bit more expensive than what you would go in and buy at Pets at Home. But you're not going to have to replace it because it's going to last instead of, you know, a couple of weeks down the line, you've got a kind of shell of a toy that's been completely de-stuffed and they've taken the squeaker out of it. That that was the biggest cost for us when uh, when we got Bernie as a puppy was... yeah. Going to pets at home once every other week, and then you say they may be a bit more expensive than pets at home, but actually pets at home aren't always the cheapest for the for some of the tougher dog toys yeah. that they sell, and even the ones that were sort of advertised as being super tough, hard, yeah. durable would take him maybe ten. You, you know, you might spend ten pounds on a toy, and fifteen minutes yeah. later, it's done. All Which the stuffings really out this week as well. You assume something that's advertised as tough, durable, yeah. is actually going to be those things. Whereas I found through product testing, and I mean, Rapsi is literally a five kilogram poodle. Like she's not a 40 kilo Rottweiler. Um, and she was getting through stuff. And I was like, well, if she's getting through them, like these bigger dogs have got no chance. So yeah, that's one of the things that I've been particularly hot on, especially with toys is making sure that things are actually durable and not just say they are, essentially. Yeah, we, we've done a few. I don't think we've done very much yet, but just because the, the blog's only just started, we've done a few product reviews and we've, we've kind of just done it based on what we found Bernie hasn't been able to destroy immediately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and tried to recommend a, f a few products on the back of that. Um, but it is, it's it's an expensive thing to do. So it's great that you're out there as well with tried and tested products. People can then have confidence that they can spend a little bit yeah. more, but it'll it'll last a bit longer. It, we actually ended up um, five, six years ago when we, when we got Bernie uh, going to the charity shop and spending 30, 40, 50p on children's toys but just supervising yeah. very closely because well, obviously they're not uh not necessarily pet safe and i wouldn't you know i'm not certainly not on the podcast recommending other people do this um but you know, even if they lasted five minutes 
it's one far minute. Cheaper per I, toy, isn't well, it? I, I could I could literally buy twenty of them, yeah. um, and entertain him for a lot longer. But it it just means that you've got to be re- you've got to be next to him the entire time, yeah, and you've got to be to... checking it yourself and taking out the little, you know, eyes in the toys and stuff, the little plastic bits. Yeah, so you, that's you've got the to be... issue with with children's toys. I because I used to get them for Colin as well before we found an actually tough brand um and the eyes are an issue and also they often put beads in children's toys as opposed to just stuffing yes um, and we discovered that after he destroyed he had an alex the lion uh from madagascar that was a children's toy um and he ripped the base of it open and literally these little beads the bit, yeah that happened everywhere. to us as well. and we yeah. were like oh that's not good but yeah we've now got the fluff and tough toys um which are imported from america um, and they don't claim to be indestructible, which is good because I always find that toys that claim to be indestructible generally aren't. Yeah. Um, they don't claim to be indestructible, but they are made in such a way that they are the most durable dog toys we've ever found. Um, we have about, I'm going to say 12, but possibly more of them in our own house. Um, and so far, so we've had them since I went to that very first show actually so about 18 months and of the kind of dozen or so toys that we personally own one of them has evidence of damage wow and we're talking dogs that go through the Kong stuffed toys in less than a day wow so they're not indestructible and I would never claim for them to be indestructible but they are the toughest toys that I found and that we've tested and they're also really lovely looking toys. Like a lot of people that see me at shows are like, oh, they look like, you know, baby toys. They look like they're for children. Um, and Arnie actually carries one around, you know, like children carry around a teddy bear. Yes. Yeah. Arnie's got a sloth um, <laughs> and he literally carries his sloth around like it's a like comfort blanket. It's very. Funny. I have actually seen them on Instagram. I think it is. Um, yeah. I've seen the adverts for them, and I've thought, "Oh, that looks good." Because it's they do, um, in particular, they do tug toys. I think as well, don't they? Yeah, they've got a range of different bits and bobs. They do some balls. Um, they're just really, really nice toys, and they are more expensive. The large ones, I think, can go up to about thirty quid. Oof. But They'll once last. you've got what you know, the cheaper ones, I think the small ones are sixteen. The large ones are 22, I think, and then the biggest ones are 30. Um, but I tend to find once people have bought one, they almost definitely come back for a second and then a third and then a fourth, and they end up with a whole collection because they are such good quality toys. Yeah, I've I've been tempted. His birthday is coming up, so maybe this is a birthday present for him in, yeah. uh, in a couple of months. Yeah, there's also... there's within the range of their toys there is ones that are more durable you know something like a monkey with kind of long legs and little fingers is not going to be as durable as something like a starfish yes because obviously it's got less to chew off essentially um so i do spend a lot of time kind of advising people on which particular toys are kind of you know tougher than you know some you know the octopus particularly we've just got in um she's obviously got tentacles um, which are quite thin and not particularly, uh, you know, they're not going to survive a Labrador that's determined to pull them off. So if someone had a really chewy Labrador, I would kind of go, yeah, no, maybe avoid the octopus and let's try something else. So people um, can reach out to you when they're, when they're buying stuff from the website oh, yeah, and you'll give course. them tailored advice. Yeah, so I'm on 
Instagram probably more than I should be. Um, I spend a large percentage of my working day replying to people's messages, answering questions, helping with things like harness sizes. And I'm more than happy to do that. Even if it's something that you don't end up buying from me, I'm more than happy to give that advice. You know, I've had someone the other day who wanted help fitting a harness that's not a brand I stock. But having looked at their website, I'm then able to kind of go, okay, well, if that's their chest measurement, then, you know, you should probably go for that size. You know, people in America and Australia who, you know, it wouldn't make sense for them to buy a harness from me because they can go down to their local pet shop and buy the same thing and not pay shipping on it. But I'm more than happy to still, you know, go through the fitting with them. You know, if they want to send me pictures to make sure they've got the right size, anything like that, I'm more than happy to kind of, you know, just chat to people and kind of give the advice that, you know, I've built up over the last year and a half, you know, I've spoken to a lot of professionals, I've kind of, you know, built up really good network of, you know, people who have got a lot of knowledge about these things. Um, so even if I don't know the answer to your question, you know, I've more than likely got someone else that I can, you know, ring or message and be like, oh, so my customers asked me about this, you know, have you got any suggestions? Well, on, on the topic of harnesses, this was um, actually why we ended up reaching out to you to come on the podcast was because in our first episode, Megan had mentioned about your drive um, to sort of educate people on shoulder harnesses. And it, it wasn't something yes. we'd heard of before here at the Dog Hang. Um, and we thought, what a great opportunity we could actually ask you on and you could talk us through what the story is between the the different types of harnesses and the, the benefits or negatives of one over the other. Yeah, so this is something I actually started researching um, about three years ago, I think. Um, essentially, I had bought for my own dogs a popular brand of harness that has a strap across the shoulders. Um, essentially, I bought it because I'd seen a lot of other people using them, um, a couple of people had said to me that they reduce pulling. Colin's quite a puller when he's excited. Um, and, you know, I was kind of drawn in by their popularity and kind of thought, you know, I'm going to give them a go. Um, I literally put said big brand chest strap harness on Colin um, and he refused to move. He literally stood in the middle of the living room and he would not for love nor treats nor money move in that harness. Um, and he's quite a sensitive dog anyway. Um, but I kind of thought, right, this is, you know, even for him, that's a pretty extreme reaction to wearing a harness. And I'd never had an issue with him with his old harnesses. Um, and I thought, right, okay, there must be something going on with this harness that he's not comfortable in. So I started researching it. Um, and at the time, there wasn't a whole load of research out there, but there was a few good videos and a few good articles um, that essentially the strap across the chest um, actually reduces the extension of their shoulders. So when that strap is across the chest, it's actually putting pressure on their shoulders so they can't actually get their legs fully extended. Um, and it was something that I'd never even thought about. As I said, I'd been, you know, I'd seen all the fabulous advertising for this brand and, you know, had loads of people say, oh yeah, they're fantastic. So you kind of, you go with what you're recommended. And when I started doing the research, I was suddenly like, oh, this is really not good. But this information is not out there. Um, and at the time, I didn't have the shop. I, you know, this was just me personally. And, you know, I kind of put these harnesses in a drawer somewhere and kind of forgot about them. And then 
when I started Double D Direct, um, I started looking at different types of harnesses that I wanted to stock. And at the time with Colin, I was using a Ruckwear harness. Uh, Rhapsody doesn't really wear a harness unless she's in the car. Um, and obviously I didn't have Arnold. So I was basing my harness choices basically on Colin. Um, so I knew I wanted Ruckwear. Um, and then I'd seen a lot of information about Herta. Um, so I kind of got in contact with them um, and noticed that they were the same shape as the Ruckwear ones. So I thought, oh, fantastic. Colin doesn't mind his Ruckwear one. Therefore, if the Herta are the same shape, then I'm sure they'll be fine as well. So I got him a Herta one. Um, again, he's absolutely fine wearing it. He runs with it on. He's not at all bothered by putting it on. So I thought, okay, good, right. Well, I've now got these two brands who have got really good harnesses. They're both the same shape. Um, you know, great. Um, so that was kind of that. I didn't really think anything of it. Um, and then I introduced the Perfect Fit harnesses, um, which are a modular system. So they come in three sections. Um, they're fleece lined, and they basically can be customized to fit dogs that have slightly odd body shapes. So a dog that you would struggle to get in a normal harness a perfect fit might be better for them because you can adjust each section individually. Uh, so I got the perfect fit ones in, fantastic. Um, and then I started to get questions about harnesses. So, you know, I'm chatting to people on social media, um, you know, you know, which harness would suit my dog, etc., etc. Um, and, you know, I was kind of recommending them. And then people started going, okay, so why do you recommend this shape of harness over for example one that comes across the chest um and you know i kind of said you know you know years ago i did this research and i came back with this um and because i was then having these conversations with people i was like right i need to do some more research because you know my knowledge from three years ago might be out of date and you know i don't want to be giving people the incorrect knowledge so i started doing some research and there is way more out there now than there was three years ago um, and it's really, really interesting. So essentially what it comes down to is in a dog, their shoulders are not the same as ours. So our shoulders are attached via our collarbones. They're attached bone to bone. Um, in a dog, their shoulders are actually not attached to bone. They are only attached by muscles. So their shoulders are essentially a floating joint. Um, so you can imagine if you're then putting a strap across that shoulder... A, you're going to make your dog really prone to injuries because you're pushing on a joint that is actually not a joint as such because it's only attached by muscle. Um, but also, they can't move their shoulders properly because if you imagine, as a human being, putting a band around the top of your shoulders and then trying to walk on your hands and knees, essentially, you know, like you used to crawl when you were little. Mm. If you try to do that with a big band around your shoulders, you're going to struggle to get your arms out in front of you, aren't you? Because you actually can't because of where the band is, you can't move your arms normally. Um, so I started looking at research and there's been some scientific papers written. Um, so there was one that was released a couple of years ago that showed nearly a 5% reduction in the extension of shoulders in dogs, which doesn't sound like a huge amount. But actually, when you look at the way that a dog moves in a restrictive harness, it is actually a surprising amount. There's a video that I posted on our Facebook page that is a dog on a treadmill at a hydrotherapy place. Um, and it shows the difference of the dog walking normally and then the dog walking with this restrictive harness on. And you can actually see in this video that this dog cannot move its leg properly when it's got this harness on. And 
it's one of those things that just I was lying in bed one night after I'd done all this research um, and I thought you know there's we've got to do something about this we can't just keep allowing people to buy this style of harness without realizing that they could be causing long-term damage in their dogs um, and I literally woke up one morning and I was like right I'm gonna do a campaign so I found a picture of one of uh, one of my customers in their perfect fit harness actually uh, so I found a picture and I thought, right, that's a really good picture. Shows that the dog, you know, the shoulder is completely free. There's no restriction across the shoulder. And I basically just said to people, you know, I can't even remember what the original post is. It's pinned at the top of my Facebook um, page. But essentially saying, you know, what kind of harness are you using? Have you thought about why you're using that kind of harness? Um, you know, and, you know, we only stock Y-shaped harnesses because of X, Y, Z. So I started posting articles, I started posting blogs by hydrotherapists, physiotherapists, vets, um, and essentially I just wanted to give people that information so they could make their own decision. Because I'm not one to push my agenda on someone. You know, I'm not gonna start messaging people on Instagram because I've seen them using one of these harnesses in their pictures. You know, I'm not gonna start approaching people being like, oh, you shouldn't be using that harness. You know, that's not my style. My aim is to give people the information and let them make their own judgment on it mm. um and i think since i've started the campaign so essentially anyone that then messages me and says you know look i'm using this type of harness i'd like to swap to a y shape because you know i've read all the information and i've realized that it really is better for my dog um i'm giving them a 25 percent discount on any of the harnesses on my website um, they're all Y-shaped and they've all got different benefits. So some of them have got clips around the neck. Some of them have got front clips. They've all got different kind of pros and cons. Um, but it was never for me about being kind of, you know, superior and, you know, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Blah, blah, blah. It was about saying to people, look, here's the information. You know, I didn't know this information when I bought those type of harnesses. I had no idea. But now you've got that information, are you going to make a change and are you going to choose something that is going to be more comfortable for your dog and is that going to allow them to move freely and not cause any long-term damage? Um, and the response has been amazing. Uh, have you had anybody come back and say, no, I really like the chest ones because, and so I'm not going to move away from that? And, and what was the... So hilariously, I have actually not had a single negative message or comment Wow, is amazing because I know of friends that have posted similar things and had quite a lot of backlash from people. Um, and I think it's all in the way that you give the information, to be quite honest. I think if you're saying, if you're using one of these harnesses, you're a terrible person and you know nothing about dogs and, you know, that's that's not a healthy way of putting it across because people feel attacked. Yeah. Um, you've got to put it across in a way that is kind of, you know... I'm sharing this information. If you would like to respond to this information by swapping your dog's harness, then that's great. If you don't want to, that's fine. Um, I've had one person that's kind of said, you know, I'm using one of these harnesses and it's the only thing that stops my dog pulling. Um, and essentially I've been, I then referred them to this um, article by Dr. Zink, who essentially says, and I've written this down at the side, 
says, I do not believe there is a harness on the market that is non-restrictive and that also helps the dog not to pull. So essentially these restrictive harnesses, they're reducing the pulling in dogs because the dog is in pain. Right. Where the way these harnesses fit is causing pain in the dog. So they physically can't pull because they're uncomfortable. Mm. which to me is a horrendous thought isn't it yes you're put, putting your dog through physical pain because you're trying to get them in this harness to not pull as much the only way to stop a dog pulling is through training there is no such thing as a non-pull harness unless it is putting your dog in some sort of pain what about the leads i've seen some of these i know the that's not a harness but i've seen some of these is it like a figure of eight around the muzzle and yeah, if they like pull it kind collar. of pulls them back around? Yeah, so they are not something I generally recommend. They're not something I stock. However, they are less pain and more discomfort, if that makes sense. Yes. You're not going to cause your dog long-term damage using a halty or a figure of eight. Yes, they don't like them and they're uncomfortable, but they're not going to cause, you know, arthritis or anything in their joints, which the type of non-pull chest strap harnesses can do. So on on the spectrum, they're not great, but they are at least better than the shoulder yes. strap so harnesses. Not ideal. Loose lead walking is something that, in my opinion, should be taught as part of training and not using tools like the chest strap harness or the halty. But some dogs are really difficult. Yeah. And if you've got a really, really strong dog, then I would 100% go for a halty or a head collar or a figure of eight over using a restrictive harness. Right. And because obviously we're, we're sort of quite active on social media at the moment. We're yeah. following a lot of uh, dog professionals across quite a broad spectrum. Every time we see um, pictures since we've had this conversation with Megan a few weeks ago, um sort of police dogs hearing aid dogs guide dogs they all tend to wear the chest strap ones so unfortunately these harnesses were designed in the 1990s um at that point no one understood the issues they could cause so i kind of akin it to kind of smoking you know in the 1970s 1980s no one understood the damage smoking could do to your lungs um And it's the same with the harnesses. You know, no one understood in the 1990s when these things were developed that they could cause possible issues. So like now, people, you know, know the dangers of smoking and kind of, you know, know the links to lung cancer and all of that. Now that people know the issues, they need to change. Um, And funnily enough, the large brand chest strap harness company who sells, you know, hundreds of thousands of them a year, their latest products that they have been developing themselves are actually Y-shaped harnesses. So I think they do actually recognise that the current research shows that that shape of harness is not good. Unfortunately, they're not going to stop selling them because they're making millions of pounds from them. Mm. Uh, But their new developing products are actually Y-shaped. So I'm not hating on this company at all because they didn't know when they designed this harness that it could cause harm. And they are going through the process of developing new harnesses that are a more comfortable shape for the dog. And hilariously, it actually says on their website, next to one of their new products, allows free movement of limbs. Right. 
which I just think is hilarious. Yeah, it's yeah, it makes it very clear. It makes it very clear, and I think they do know that it's not a great design now. But you know, as I said, they're not going to stop selling them because they're making so much money from them that it wouldn't make sense for them, would it? No. And unfortunately, it takes a very strong company to say, you know what, this product could be causing harm to dogs long term. Therefore, we're just going to stop selling it. And they're not going to do that. Um, but, you know, the more that people are educated and read the information and start swapping over, you know, they have got some great harnesses on their website that are Y-shaped. They've got harnesses that I would buy for my own dogs. But, you know, people need to start making that decision to not buy the chest strap style. You know, even if they still want to buy from that company, that's fine. Just buy the Y-shaped. You know, it's not, you know, it's not that that, you know, not that you need to boycott the company. Mm. Just buy the different shaped harness. I, we're, we're avoiding naming the company. I'm, yes. That's a deliberate move, is it? That is a deliberate move, yes. Um, I was recently... Um, put next to them at a show um and i just want to be very careful that i'm not because i'm so small it's literally just me yeah um you know i don't want to cause any major drama to be quite honest okay um so yeah i just want to be careful you know everyone knows who it is you know they're at every show they you know you see dogs you know even up here we're in the middle of nowhere i still see dogs most days wearing their harnesses um but yeah no i just want to be a little bit careful that i'm not kind of drawing unwanted attention to myself making enemies in high places <laughs> yeah exactly because like i said they're a lot bigger than me and uh, i'm sure they could do a lot of damage if they wanted to yes probably well in that case then um because we're almost out of time in fact we're already out of time we've we've overrun say, slightly we all the chatting <laughs> yes um <laughs> So before you go, we always ask um, two questions of everybody that comes on the show. Yeah. So the, the first one is, if you were Prime Minister, what one dog-related thing would you make mandatory? Okay, so I've had to think about this. And I think before you become a dog owner, you should have to sit like a driving test. You should have to sit a practical session to make sure that you know how to look after this dog properly. And you should also have to sit a practical uh, a what's the word assessment uh to make sure that you know you are going to be a good dog owner if you for example if you were going to adopt a child there is all sorts of stuff you have to go through before the agency would let you adopt a child so i don't understand why it's not the same with dogs you know any old person could go to a breeder and buy a dog and i just think there needs to be some sort of control so that you know people understand things like body language things like reactivity that could turn into aggression because it would make everyone's lives so much easier if people actually understood their dogs and their dog's needs. That is so, yeah. not the first time we've heard that in uh, this, yeah. this is I think definitely four. some sort of assessment before you're allowed to own a dog. Yes, and um, we, we've specifically discussed the idea of some kind of driving test yeah <laughs> style accreditation before you're allowed to get one so that seems to be becoming a recurring theme um yeah. on the flip side then what one dog related thing would you outlaw 
See, this one, I literally had a list. Like, I really struggled to narrow this Everybody's down. Everybody's cheating so, on this one. I know, everyone's cheating. But one. there's so many things, you know, you know, stricter laws for animal abuse. You know, it's quite difficult to even send someone to jail at the moment for animal abuse. Right. You know, Dangerous Dogs Act obviously is totally outdated. Uh, stricter laws for breeders. You know, yes, Lucy's Law has been passed, which has done an amazing job, but there still needs to be stricter penalties for puppy farming. Uh, you know, the harness thing, feeding your dog terrible food. The, yeah, the list The list is long, the list I'm afraid. The list is endless. So I'm going to have to insist that you just pick one to go in the box. Um, I think it's going to have to be stricter penalties for animal abuse or neglect. Right. I think that's going to have to be be the one. If people want to delve a little bit deeper um, into any of these topics or if they want to reach out to you, what are your contact details? How do people get a hold of you? So the easiest way to get a contact with me is actually to message me on Instagram. Um, so either on the Devil Dude Direct page or on the Devil Dude Designs page. I'm pretty active on both. Uh, you can email me and the email is devildude at hotmail.com. Um, I tend to be better at replying on social media because I spend most of my days on Instagram. Um, so yeah, that's definitely the best place to message me. If you want information, then I'd say my Facebook page, especially for the harness stuff. Um, so the pinned post at the top of my Devil Do Direct Facebook page is my harness post. Um, and if you look in the comments section below that, there are links to all the different articles, um, loads of different studies and videos you know loads and loads of information about the dangers of chest strap harnesses and why y-shaped is the better way to go fantastic well thank you very much emily for coming on oh thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure